0: You're listening to the Today's Conveyancer podcast, the leading source of information for residential property lawyers in England and Wales. Don't forget to subscribe and sign up to our free newsletter at todaysconveyancer.co.uk. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome along to the latest Today's Conveyancer podcast. I'm joined this week by somebody who's probably not particularly familiar to the conveyancing world but is certainly well known in estate agency, it's uh, Paul Offley. Paul is a Group Compliance Officer at Nurture Group, again not particularly widely known, better known as the Guild of Property Professionals and Fine and Country brands which I'm sure are familiar to, uh, to many of our, our listeners. Thank you very much indeed for joining Paul.
0: It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me along.
1: You're very involved, as your title suggests, in compliance and supporting the members of the Guild and Fine and Country franchisees. I really wanted today to talk a little bit about what you think the most pressing issues for estate agents are from a compliance point of view and by extension how that impacts conveyances and then really kind of look at what best practice you've seen working in the industry to foster greater collaboration. We were both at the Estes Forum a few weeks ago discussing the opportunities for conveyances and estate agents to work better together and it's a, it's a real it's a real opportunity for the industry. There's some momentum behind it at the moment.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I think that Estes Forum was really good and I think there was lots of really good ideas and feedback coming from that. Um, and I think it's just like everything with these events, it's how you turn that into actual reality and start to make some progress to it. But uh, it, it was a really, really good event.
1: So let's start with who you are. Yep. Uh, you are a little bit about your background and then tell us a little bit about what you do at of Property Professionals and Finer Country.
0: Okay, right. So my, my background um, is really all within the estate agency uh, business. Uh, I started uh, back in 1978 where like most people do you just fall into a state agency rather than have any strong desire to go into a state agency but it was one of those things that when I started I soon very very quickly learned that it was a job I really liked and the variety at that time was was really really good and um, so I spent a few years working in, in with independence and then Uh, In 1988, joined the world of uh, corporates as they became involved with uh, estate agents uh, with with the Halifax. Uh, And then I stayed at the Halifax for the next 24 years and during that time moved from branch uh, into sort of head office roles um, and did everything from training to uh, setting up a complaints team, change management, project management. I spent a couple of years working on the HIPS project, um, you know, and spent a lot of time developing our own HIPS offering and working with conveyances. And and then obviously that all all went spectacularly nowhere. Uh, So then it was all back to the drawing board. Um, But I've always seemed to sort of, if you like, sort of end up in some kind of compliance uh, role. So at the Halifax for 24 years, uh, so I remained uh, until the business was sold uh, off uh, or acquired. I then stayed on for a year, uh, heading up the risk within the actual Halifax bank network. Um, And I think it's very different between managing risk within an estate agency environment and managing risk within a bank environment, very, very different. Um, And I decided after a year, it was time to look for something different and did a little bit of consultancy. um, And then eventually found my way to uh, the Guild of Property Professionals. And um, I've really got the best of both worlds here now. So the, the Guild is made up of around 800 independent agents. And final country, uh, again, they're all independent businesses. And if you like, I'm a bit like their head office for compliance, so I, I support them with, with training, uh, we do some health checks with them. Um, but most of my time um, is is spent dealing with this thing we've got, Ask Paul. Uh, so they can ask me anything at all on compliance, and it can be ra- a wide ranging of questions Because they don't have that benefit of a head office compliance function that they go to. So, therefore, we we try and guide them to make sure they're doing everything uh, correctly and compliantly.
1: So, first question is what are the most pressing compliance issues for estate agents at the moment?
0: That's a really, really good question. And um, it's like the question when you meet somebody in a corridor that you've not seen for ages and tell me what you're working on at the moment. Um, it, it, It really is. You know, is it is it money laundering, uh, you know, because that, that, that's very, very topical that, that, you know, we know that we've got to have money laundering processes in place. And we know HMRC, uh, you know, are increasing their activity within the state agency profession. Um, is it the disclosure of material information to make sure that anything known about a property uh, is disclosed before somebody has a transactional decision? Uh, you know, it, is it in the world of lettings uh, to make sure that, you know, you've registered the deposit? I I think one of the biggest areas where we see is, do firms really understand their risks? And do they understand what controls have got in place to prevent those risks from coming an issue? Uh, and it's really what I say to lots of business owners, look, are you managing your risk based on your perception that your firm's okay? Or actually, do you know, in reality, whether it is okay or not? Um, and that is the key thing. And once you know that you can draw down, I guess, Money laundering is always up there for residential uh, sales as one of the, the top uh, topics. I think at the minute, um, because we are talking lots about the disclosure of material information up front, that is becoming a hot topic. In yeah, do we have we got that information? Uh, where are we going to get that information from? Um, so I, I guess that is really the hot topic at the minute. I think if you're in Wales, You probably say your hot topic is all the changes that are happening to uh, the lettings process from the 15th of July. Uh, So you know it really does vary based on where you are and I sometimes find it's really difficult for agents because it's almost like having all those plates that you've got to keep spinning and sometimes one of them right down the far end of the corner stops spinning and you don't notice it until the flipping plate falls off and you've got to do something about it so it's just a case of you know keeping your eye on absolutely everything that's going on at any one stage but certainly at the minute i would say money laundering and getting ready for the disclosure of, of material information
1: and the national trading standards state and lettings agents team have made their announcements around their expectations a b c i think they've yes. called it haven't they in terms of yes. the stages tell us about what a is requiring agents to do, Paul?
0: So, so A is requiring agents to um, have specific information available on property portals and websites, uh, such as the tenure, uh, such as the uh, council tax banding or the rates payable um, if you're in um, uh, Ireland. um, And it's information around the price. Um, Now, if something is leasehold, should go into detail about any commitments that a buyer will have regarding the ground rent service charges uh you know the 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 time of the lease you know how how long is the lease for etc um and and if i'm honest this is information that probably agents already have uh you know i don't think there's anything there that's going to cause anybody any concern but they've probably got in in a variety of formats some people may put that on uh, property portals some people may not so i think it's the information is there but it's just bringing it all together and i think one of the biggest areas that that, that we've had discussions about is uh, this requirement for a single price rather than a price on application or a guide price um it's actually saying that you know if, if it's 300,000 then that is a price it's got to be so um i suspect many agents are now busy making sure they've got that data ready so that when their portals have created the fields ready to feed through, they're ready to have that information.
1: And B and C are the sort of the next stages, aren't they? What, what, yeah. What's coming down the track?
0: Uh, I think this will be things that uh, are looking at what are potential um, issues that a buyer would need to be aware of. Um, you know, and, and you know, I, I'm a strong believer in the fact that really this is this is all about you know if, if you get the compliance bit for a minute, it's all about doing the right thing for for a consumer. And you know, at some point, if you're selling, you will also be buying. So if you're being asked to provide this information, then you'll find that information helpful uh, when when you know you you next buy your property. And you know, I see so many times that um, something isn't disclosed. Uh, which does make a difference to somebody's buy-in, uh, you know, whether they wish to buy that property or not. And then that just either means they pull out of the sale, and everybody feels very aggrieved that the sale's fallen through. Uh, it takes longer because those queries aren't always uh, raised at an earlier date, um, and and it just creates an awful lot of expense and frustration for everybody. You know, the seller, the buyer, the agent, the conveyancer, the mortgage lender. It just creates problems, which. Um, you know, if I go back to my time at the Halifax when I was working on the hips, uh, you know, the hips was was really something that was potentially going to solve all of those issues and 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 get that information up front. So, um, you know, I think it is absolutely the right thing to do for all parties.
1: We've heard a huge amount about hips over the last couple of years, and upfront information, you know, understandably is, is was was one element of it. Do you kind of see that? There's a potential return to HIPS or a HIPS light. You know, what, what what do you kind of see is going to happen around that that upfront information and the requirement, not only to provide it from the estate agent's point of view, but actually to communicate that to the conveyancer to enable them to make a start, for example, on the contract pack, or or even to you know to start raising inquiries.
0: And I think that's a very key point. I think the it's all very well the agent gathering all this information from the seller. I think the key thing is then how can agents and conveyancers work together so that they can share that information and present it in a form that's acceptable to conveyancers uh, so that you really are doing things to help speed up that process and um, you know again not wishing to keep going back but if I go back to my time when I first started in the late 70s we always had a solicitor when we had an instruction You know, we would never get someone to instruct us to sell the property without them giving us their solicitor's details. And then you'd write to the solicitor and the solicitor would start to get prepared for when that property eventually sells. So back in the 70s, you were already preparing that, whereas now that seems to have slipped off a bit. And sometimes people don't appoint the solicitor until they found a buyer for it. Um, And then you lose some some valuable uh, time. and again, I think it's 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 how the two parties can work together, and, and you know, rather than the agent having to get all that information and then the conveyancer having to get all that information, you know, work together to find a way you can present it in the format that is acceptable to both parties. And I think once we've got that, then you really start to see both parties working together.
1: We're going to come on to uh, best practice in a second, Paul, but I'd I'd really like to kind of drill into this a little bit further because we've identified two things in the money laundering challenge and the presentation of this upfront information to the conveyancer that really affect both parties. Is there a way that you kind of see that, that compliance can kind of smooth that relationship if you like? You know, this is, this is an issue that affects both of them. We're seeing moves towards reliance, which is this ability to use the anti-money laundering cheque that's done by the agent, similarly used further down the transaction. But while the regulators lay the, the blame on the individual organisations, we're going to struggle to see that happen. What else do you think we can be doing that that can smooth that, that process?
0: I think there's a lot we can do in terms of the money laundering side. Um and at the moment you're absolutely right so the agent's got to do the money laundering, the, the solicitor's got to do the money laundering and if there's a lender involved they've got to do money laundering so you're all doing your own, own checks on those and I think whilst it's probably right that individual firms uh, you know assess the risk themselves because that their, their money laundering officers are, are, are liable so it's right that they do that but there must be a way that we can share some of the information to save three people from having to do that um, and I think there's a lot of work going on with HMRC um, and the Home Buying and Selling Group and lots of other providers where they are looking at, um, you know, for argument's sake, where it's a little bit like your EPC register, where, you know, if you want an EPC, you log your EPC on the National EPC register and then the agent can go and get it. Why can't you have something where you, you know, you log your ID um, and then you can get give code to people to access that ID? And I know there's an awful lot of work going on with that. But I think with all of this, it's getting different bodies to accept that. Um, so I, I think I think HMRC are probably been a bit slow to act to embrace digital um, and still reliant on people going in with copies of their passport, uh, passport and driving license. And um, I think we are making progress, but I think that's got to happen to make it more uh, seamless uh, and a more uh, you know open and sharing of information.
1: At the risk of mudslinging. The accusation that will be pointed at estate agents is that because they are largely unregulated, and perhaps we'll touch on Roper in a second, that the checks that they're undertaking aren't, aren't as thorough as the checks that solicitors are required to take. Any comment on that?
0: Yeah, I, I think, like everywhere, you will have firms that do it by the book and a little bit more, uh, you may have other firms that that, that don't do it at all. Um, and I think we've always had that within this, you know, you'll always get that. You'll always get some firms that do absolutely everything how they should do and others that, that, that potentially don't. I can only speak from the ones that I, you know, the, the thousand or so that, that, that we support. Um, yeah, I think they've got that in place. Uh, I think they do do absolutely everything that they need to do to make sure that the risk assessment's done, the PEP and the financial sanctions checks. Um, I think they do the checks and I think the key is to make sure that they understand why they're doing the checks. It's all very well just doing a check but you've got to understand the objective for doing that. Um, I think until we have some kind of regulation that everybody's got to comply with and enforcement you will always get somebody uh, that, that, that probably through lack of knowledge, uh, lack of understanding, or just not wanting to do it, that, that will be your rogue agent. Um, I, and I don't agree with that. I, I think we've got to do something to put it right. I am absolutely don't agree with it. And one of the frustrations I get is sometimes somebody will say to me, I'm doing this right, but I know agents in my town aren't doing it right. And yet, HMRC may call and visit me and not that agent that's not actually doing it right. Um, and it's very frustrating to say we, we're not at the minute all on that level playing field.
1: Will some effort to regulate estate agents put people on a much more level playing field, do you think? It's been in discussion for a long time, regulation of property agents, ROPA. Do you kind of see that across the board, And we're not just necessarily talking about money laundering, but, you know, money laundering, upfront information, the whole process and procedure around lettings. Do you think regulation would, would help with that?
0: See the problem is you can have as much regulation as you like, but if you've not got anyone to enforce it uh, then people will still be able to bypass that. So um, uh, I, I'm a great believer in doing things right for the consumer and that's what it's all about. All these regulations are making sure that the, the, the consumer is treated fairly and will do things that go right away. And you know, talking about ROPA, you can bring in ROPA and you can bring in as much mandatory qualifications, you can bring in as much, but you've got to have the resources within the enforcement teams to be able to police that, uh, because otherwise people will find that loophole and, and people will uh, go off piece and, and, and not do what they are required to do. And um, I mean, I have to really caveat that because I think most agents do do it correctly and most agents invest a lot of time and support in making sure things done are correctly and there's a small number that 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 aren't. But we really need to have enforcement to make sure that that small number is reduced as much as possible. Um, You know, at the moment, the entire enforcement of everything apart from uh, money laundering is down to trading standards. Um, But traded standards teams in local authorities are trading standards for absolutely everything and and not just estate agency issues. And I guess they've got, you know, only a a matter of resources that they've got. uh, And they can only put, you know, resources into wherever they believe is the most uh you know impacting the consumer at that moment in time so regulation is good but was going to be supported by the 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 resources for enforcement.
1: I'm not necessarily looking to achieve anything out of this podcast necessarily it was a it's always an opportunity to to understand how other parts of the same process (laughs) work together but I think it's fair to say that there are some challenges that both conveyances and estate agents face that they're not necessarily empathetic of, no. and and it would perhaps be nicer to to kind of help both sides to understand better the, the challenges that each of them them face. Your in your role, what best practice have you seen that that's working? That agents within the uh, the, the guild are adopting that's helping them to smooth the process further down the line?
0: I think it's communication. I think it's really about developing that relationship with your conveyancer, whoever that may be. Um, You know, back back in the day, the agents, um, I think, had a very close relationship with their solicitors and their conveyancers. At the end of the day, you're both looking after that one particular transaction and you're both there to support that seller and that buyer achieve an exchange of contracts Um, but sometimes it feels as though maybe the two parties aren't quite aligned on on what they're doing and I'm sure um, you know I think it works best where the the agent knows exactly how they're going to communicate with the conveyancer Uh, I'm sure the last thing the conveyances want is phone calls galore from an agent saying can you just give me an update on this case Uh, you know agree a time when you're going to do that or agree some way you're going to do a case review on these files on a Thursday at 11 o'clock you know agree something so that all parties can work together and talk to each other and I think sometimes picking up the phone to talk to each other is far easier than sending emails uh, and just relying on something I think it's understanding how both parties can work together I think from an agent's point of view it's also ensuring that the conveyance has got the information that they need um you know, I was surprised when somebody said to me that by simply not supplying the full names of a seller or a buyer can actually add a delay to that actual process of, of, of getting something completed. So, you know, when you're talking to a buyer, when you're talking to a seller, always get their full names. It, it's about just making sure that the agent can understand how they can help the conveyancer and how the conveyancer can help, they can help the agent. And I just think it really is about the two parties communicating with each other and agreeing the best way for them to work. I've seen some brilliant cases where um, agents invite conveyances into one of their meetings uh, so, we can, so people get to know each other and they get to know how they can help support each other. Um, I think it, it, it's creating that better working relationship uh, between the two parties and a better understanding of what each other wants.
1: It was interesting, going back to the Estes Forum, that those more experienced staff, shall we say, describe the relationship as being born out of being down at the pub on a Friday night. That style of, of communication feels very outdated in, in this day and age, doesn't it? How do you kind of see that we can foster better communication if we're not down at the pub on a Friday night?
0: Yeah, I, I, and I think it—I think it probably is difficult because maybe in some occasions, you—you you know, you aren't in the same location as your 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 conveyancer, and, um, you, you know, I guess back um, in previous times, you would instruct a local solicitor within your local town, whereas now that not maybe the case. So, you know, and I'm not at all supporting that everybody should go off to the pub on a Friday night and uh, you know meet everybody everywhere. Although it was it was a brilliant place where you did lots of uh, business, but. Look at look at what te- technology you've got now. Um, why can't you have a Zoom call with the solicitors? You know, why why can't you set up something and say, well, actually, yeah, we're not going to come in and see you, and we're not going to get people to travel all over the country, and you may be in a different location to where I am, but that doesn't mean you've got to stop that communication process. So so why can't the two parties have a Zoom session set up? So even if it's just to get to know the staff um and get to know the people you're dealing with, um I think that's one of the good things that's come out of of the pandemic is the fact that people um, know people more intimately through Zooms because you know you, you you're in people's homes. You you know you and I have spoken about it. you see people's family, their dogs, their cats, and I just think it makes it more personable, and that makes that communication process far far uh, more more easier.
1: One of the things that came out of the forum for me was empowering junior members of staff to build those relationships mm. uh, and I just wonder whether listeners to this podcast and, and feel free to uh, to to submit some your comments around this but do you feel that estate agents are empowering junior staff to go out and build those relationships and similarly our, the challenge to conveyances are conveyances empowering junior staff to go and build those relationships
0: I, I think that's absolutely spot on. I think we, you know, the the best results I have seen is where people are building those relationships. Um, not not just the the partners or the directors, but the negotiators that are actually dealing with those sales. Um, you know, they are the ones that are talking to the buyers and sellers uh, on on a regular basis. Uh, those people that are actually involved, and sometimes. They don't always necessarily realise that they know the estate agency process. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of that, but they may not understand why something relatively unknown to them can help that conveyancing process. Um, so I think yes, the more they actually get involved, then absolutely the better it is. And and involve them uh, ra- rather than just talking to business owners because you know the business owners probably are not actively involved in that particular transaction. So yeah, I'm all for uh, you know uh, engaging those relationships you know a, a, as early as possible, and with the people that are actually dealing with those transactions.
1: Paul, we're sort of moving towards running out of time, but it's been brilliant to chat. I think that communications clearly uh, a huge opportunity for estate agents and conveyances. and I agree that if the pandemic has had a, a positive impact, it's this ability to have virtual conversations rather than have to uh, get out of the office and go and meet people albeit that it's valuable to do that as well. I said I didn't want to get anything out of this particularly except that it's hopefully raised the awareness of the need for empathy on either side of the transaction that the two businesses that we're talking about here both face very similar challenges Mm -hmm. uh, and that actually by sort of working together uh, they will resolve those much better than by being at loggerheads although that that's reasonably straightforward. Paul it's been great to chat, really really appreciate your time, thank you so much.
0: It's been a huge pleasure, thank you very very much for inviting me.
1: The Today's Conveyancer Podcast is available on your preferred podcast provider, it's also available on the Today's conveyance website. Thank you very much indeed for listening and see you again soon.
0: You're listening to the Today's Conveyancer podcast, the leading source of information for residential property lawyers in England and Wales. Don't forget to subscribe and sign up to our free newsletter at todaysconveyancer.co.uk. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.